option on first down. Hagan has it. He has room. He's got one man to beat. Now he pitches to Flanagan, and he may take it all the way. Flanagan's in for the touchdown. Stewart with time. Let's it go. He's got three people down there. The ball's up in the air. Take a shot downfield, and it is held in by Bryce Bobo. What a one-handed catch! Remember that for your highlight show tonight. Brukop to the corner for Carrington, intercepted! Colorado got it! Witherspoon! With the biggest play in Colorado football for years! Oliver takes it, has a big one already, he's got room here, Isaiah Oliver cuts it back, punter to beat, he does, he'll take it, touchdown! Welcome in to a new Buff Stampede radio, Adam Munster Tiger, publisher of BuffStampede.com, here with fan correspondent Tyler Ziskin. Tyler, the long wait is over, here comes Ralphie. Yeah, finally. It seems like this is a real long offseason, especially when we weren't really allowed to see any other team. seems like I've been away for a while. been less hyped going into this year because we just don't have real connection to the team, which is unfortunate because I think they have a chance to be pretty fun to watch. But glad that they're uh, finally getting going. They're going to have a tough first matchup here, it looks like. Yeah. So we'll see. The fact that Colorado State looks so good against Oregon State, does that make you even more excited for this game just because of the, the quality opponent? And it, I think we can really expect an exciting football game. Yeah, I think it's a solid measuring stick more so than in years past maybe. I think this is a pretty good CSU team, one of the best group of five teams in all of college football probably. I think they have a chance to win a ton of games, and they're obviously going to be ready after smoking a Pac-12 opponent in week one. We're going to talk more about this in our video preview, which we'll have up on Friday morning, but just briefly here, did did watching that game against Oregon State change your expectations substantially for for this this season opener? Not a lot. I already had pretty high expectations for what CSU was going to be this year. Um, obviously, the game ballooned a little bit down the stretch there, and not to say that CSU didn't play well because they they did, and you know they took advantage of every Oregon State mistake, uh, survived a few mistakes of their own, especially early in the game, and that's what you want to do. I mean, football's a lot closer game than I think most people realize. It doesn't take much for a game to get out of control. It doesn't take much for a game to swing the other direction. And that's what happened in this game. But, I mean, CSU took care of business, and that's what you're supposed to do as a good football team. Yeah. They, it's an impressive week one victory. There's no doubt about that. If not for all the excitement around the new stadium, uh, without the altitude advantage, had these two teams played on a neutral field 10 times, I, I feel pretty confident that Oregon State probably wins five of them. I really think those were pretty evenly matched teams. It was just some of the added excitement around the stadium and then, again, kind of a, a snowball situation with the turnovers. Yeah, I mean, if you know, if CSU somehow turns the ball over five times, the game goes a different way. I mean, turnovers have huge impact on pretty much any college football game. Uh, but you can't make those mistakes, especially on the road. Uh, you watched and were reminded quickly of why Oregon State hasn't won a road game in three years. Uh, it's because things like that happen on the road <laughs> when you're not poised. So, yeah, I mean, you know, CSU did what they were supposed to do, but no, it doesn't really change a whole lot about what I expect to happen on Friday. 
Gary Anderson, I still think is a good coach, but that certainly that third quarter was not his finest moment as a head coach. No, I, I didn't really love the entire game from his perspective. Honestly, I thought they really went away from Ryan Nall way too much. Physical back who, as they gave him the ball, I mean, he had a majority of their big plays in mm-hmm. the first half. Uh, they just didn't use him enough, and they weren't really all that physical off the ball. It didn't seem like there were a lot of delays, a lot of handoffs that were you know slow developing, things like that. It was kind of an interesting offensive game plan that I didn't really agree with. Well, let's talk a little bit about CU as they've gotten ready for this. I, I did ran a feature, and I asked nine Colorado players which player, which of their teammates made the biggest jump from the end of last season to this year. And it was good in the sense that I got different answers. If they all said the same player, you would yeah. the, the amount of improvement would have been limited across the board. But I made a list of, of eight guys that I feel have made the biggest jump based off some of those interviews, you know, checking with sources and just the other interviews I've done throughout camp. Um, and, and certainly one guy I'm going to mention here at the top is a guy that, that is part of a, a heated discussion, and that's KB on Ento. To play KB on Ento or to redshirt him – Without question, the, the most improved from the end of last season. We saw almost every day during spring ball him making an amazing catch, and he followed that through, followed that up with a, a pretty solid preseason. Yeah, I mean, I honestly thought he was pretty good last year as well, at least flashed every time we were able to see him. So, I mean, he's a guy who I think is a very talented player, but I wouldn't have had him as the most improved from, from my perspective. I think he, if he plays this year, he'll be the third or fourth best wide receiver on the team, or I guess fourth or fifth best wide receiver on the team. Um, I would love to see him redshirted because I think he could have a huge season for us next year. But it's up to him, and I understand why he wouldn't want to do it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, having that guy as your fourth or fifth best wide receivers, <laughs> is, that's the reason why this team this team is ranked in the top two or three wide receiver groupings in all of college football. And McIntyre's been asked a couple times about the whole redshirting deal with the receivers. Uh, certainly Johnny Huntley's part of that discussion as well. And McIntyre's alluded to the fact that they're – if you don't see those guys out there on Friday night, you can pretty much guess that that's what they're hoping to do is redshirt those right. guys. Yeah, assuming they avoid injuries. Until about the midway point of the season is what McIntyre said, basically what they would be going along with. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I would. you'd probably like to see Ento and, and Huntley on the sideline throughout that game because that would be a pretty good indication there. Another guy that's really improved, and, and Mike McIntyre takes every chance to call out Alex Kinney. Do you buy this? He talks about his drop being much more consistent, um, the fact that he can sometimes catch a bad snap and still get it back online. Um, he certainly showed some potential that that redshirt fresh or that true freshman season, the second half of it. Yeah, I mean, from the limited time that we've been able to see him so far in fall camp, he's definitely been much improved. But you know, things are different on game day. So until I see it actually happen on game day, I'm not really gonna get overly excited about it but yeah I mean he looks much more consistent much more confident uh, even when he was pretty solid the second half of his freshman year there was a little inconsistency there wasn't getting as much pop onto the ball I, I can't remember more than one or two bad punts from him I've seen in the three practices that we've seen since spring ball so yeah he's you know if that were to be the case I mean special teams has been a big issue for us it'd be nice if we can improve that Trey Udofia has been earning a lot of respect from his teammates. I think as a redshirt freshman, you have to temper your expectations somewhat, but he's not going to be the weak link that maybe we thought he was going to be coming out of spring ball. Yeah, he would probably be my number one if I was to rank the list. Uh, Based on what we've seen, he's looked really comfortable out there. You're right, you know, redshirt freshman, there's going to be mistakes. 
I think it'll remind you a little bit of what Isaiah Oliver looked like his freshman year um, in terms of, you know, mistakes out there. But he's a really good athlete. He looks really comfortable. And, you know, there's not a better wide receiver grouping to learn against than the one he's going against in practice every day. So there are going to be a lot of days where he's out on the field like, wow, I've played against better wide receivers than this. So, um, you know, I think he's going to make some plays for us. And I actually feel really comfortable overall with our secondary now that he seems – more or less ready to go. I think he's a worthy starter. Steven Montez seemingly made the jump that, that everybody was hoping he would. The offensive line have heard really good things about their their jump this offseason. Michael Adkins is a name that kept coming up over and over again during camp, too. Had a chance to interview him earlier this week. Such a humble kid. And, you know, when he talked about his injury history, you could see it really pains him. And I think it's a slippery slope when you start – talking about guys not playing through injuries that they should have. We don't really know how bad that hamstring was. It was mm-hmm. certainly frustrating because you knew how much talent he had for him not to be out on the field. But it would be great, especially him wearing 19, being the last buff to do that. It'd be him and George Frazier, I think, are the two redemption guys you'd really love to see have that great senior season. Right, yeah. I mean, I've been really high on Michael Atkins throughout the process and kind of got frustrated by him last year. Um yeah, I mean, injuries are a tough deal. It's football, and the, the, there's always going to be guys who just struggle with injuries. There's not really a knock on them personally. It's just you got to be on the field if you want the recognition. Um, again, I wouldn't put him on my most improved list because he's always been really good when he's yeah, healthy. it's true. It's just a matter of him being on the field. Uh, but so far, I mean, he's. it seems like they're planning to use him quite a bit, so I assume they're pu- using him quite a bit in practice, and he's still out there practicing healthy. So yep. that's a pretty good sign. Uh, I think if they could get Phil a little bit of a breather, he's a really good second back if he can stay on the field for you. So, yeah, I agree with you. I'm hoping for him to have a big year because he deserves it. And well, the one positive, too, of all those injuries, because he didn't redshirt his first year on campus, is that uh, that extra year, because he finally, what was it, two years ago, he only played three games, so they were allowed to apply the redshirt that year. That extra year has allowed him now to get his master's degree, so he's certainly taking advantage of things from the academic side. One more guy that, that's improved, not been mentioned quite as much as these other guys, but Akil Jones, we kept hearing, had issues with his work ethic and, and being out of shape. And it sounds like he's at least taken that to heart uh, to be at least a quality backup guy inside linebacker. Yeah, he was a guy that last year I loved, thought he had a bright future here, and then we started hearing he wasn't getting a whole lot done in the weight room and was out of shape and was struggling overall. And a few of the linebackers have mentioned that. But it sounds like he's really turned it on, and um, you know, him and Rossells and all the new defensive guys have really gotten along pretty well, and he seems to be making improvements there, which is awesome because I think talent-wise he flashed a lot last year. So... Uh, you know, we'll see if he can help us in a backup role. He's got great speed, so uh, we'll see how he can be used. And I think Isaiah Oliver went from being a really good Pac-12 starting cornerback to now he made a, such a jump, I think, that he's all, basically an All-American candidate. I really believe that. Yeah, I still haven't seen any of the draft pundits talk about him at all yet. Uh, he, I've seen multiple lists where he's not even in the top 15. They haven't watched Isaiah Oliver yeah. play. I, I don't really know any other way to say it. Like, There was actually an article today about Jeremy Irwin being Colorado's best draft prospect, and I was like, you know, that's cool for Jeremy, but that's not right. I mean, it's just not. Isaiah Oliver is an absolute stud, and they're going to get him in a combine setting, and he's going to end up being a first-round pick. I think he's going to have a huge year for us. I just can't imagine him getting beat over the top. He's long. He's going to be the fastest dude on the field pretty much every single week. He's going to have a huge year for us, and I, I think really he's going to shut down one half of the field. And uh, the last guy I want to mention here is Evan Worthington. 
uh, he was not focused his first stint with the Buffaloes as underclassman. Evan will tell you that. He just a focused Evan Worthington is is a scary player out there, just in terms of being a, a playmaker and a guy that that has a lot of versatility. They've even had him as an emergency. He's been practicing practicing some at cornerback as a, maybe an emergency option there. That's yeah, that's kind of interesting because that I wouldn't have said really fit what he does on the field, but you know, he's a pretty big guy to be playing corner. But I mean, I think in a physical setting, it would be kind of interesting. I think he's going to play a ton. I just don't, I think they're being kind of secretive about where that's going to be right now. Uh, but I expect him to be on the field and I think he'll definitely be out there on special teams at the very least. Well, Nick Fisher had the hamstring injury and there's kind of conflicting reports on whether he's going to go on Friday. So he's the guy going to break out the binoculars and see if he's suited up. Cause if he doesn't play, then Evan Worthington, I would imagine would fit into that safety spot. Let's talk about the other side of it. Concerns uh, in terms of players that are going to be out there defensively. I look at Drew Lewis, and I'm not quite sure what we're going to get from him. Yeah, I was really high on him in the off season. He's just a physical freak, but yeah, watching him actually practice, there's a lot of mistakes going on there. So he's probably my biggest concern right now because you can't have those mistakes in game situations, especially not against good teams. Um, you know, that's that's how you give up easy touchdowns and. We can't have that. So, I mean, if he stays focused and does everything he's supposed to do, he's going to have a big year for us. But there's been a lot of mental lapses from the looks of what we've seen in practice so far, and he's really got to shore that up. And you got to like the starting unit defensively, but certainly we've talked a lot about this. Depth at inside linebacker and depth at cornerback. If a Rick Gambo or an Isaiah Oliver go down, all yeah. of a sudden those units, because, again, it's, it's a cliche, but you're only as good as your weakest link. And I think you get a couple injuries at some of those key spots. All of a sudden this defense goes from pretty darn good to it, it could really struggle at times. Yeah, I agree. I mean, Isaiah Oliver, you can't lose Isaiah Oliver. I think that's pretty simple. Which scares <laughs> me him being back there returning punts. Right, yeah. I don't love that either, but that's a conversation for another day. Um yeah, Rick Amboa, I mean, they have a couple guys that, uh, true freshmen, I think, behind the inside linebackers that they like, but would rather not be <laughs> having starting minutes right now. Uh, just, you know, you got to get used to college football a little bit. Um, yeah, the D-line, I feel pretty good about. Their rotation's pretty solid right now. I don't have a whole lot of concerns there. I think they're going to be solid, but probably not spectacular, if that makes any sense. And I really think also that Derek McCartney needs to stay healthy this year as well. That's going to be a big one for me. And then moving over to offense, I guess my three semi-concerns there are offensive, offensive center. Jonathan Huckins has done well. He's consistent snapping the ball, good mentally, good making the calls. He's never really been the most physical guy. So if they start going up against some Pac-12 teams that have a really dominant interior defensive lineman, I worry about that a little bit. I worry about tight end position a little bit. And maybe Steve Montez has gunslinger mentality a little bit. Those would be my concerns offensively. Yeah, I think – the offense has gotten a lot of hype this year, and what I would say is I expect him to be pretty good at times, and I also expect him to struggle at times because Steven runs the show, and he's not the most consistent guy I've ever seen. He's going to have some unbelievable games probably, and he's also probably going to have some frustrating games, so just be prepared for that. I kind of see how that uh, that's going to be going. They're probably even within the game sometimes he's going to have a one or two bad possessions or bad throws, and you're going to be frustrated. He's also going to make some plays that – get you real giddy so um, I think maybe it'll be a little less consistent than what you would like but in the end the results I think are going to be pretty good there offensively uh, another minor concern of mine is the wide receiver grouping is really really talented and really really deep 
But if things go south and you need a guy to step up every single time out there on the field, do you have that go-to guy that you know no matter what's going to be open? I'm not 100% sure. Like, I think all those guys are going to trade off having huge games. But it would be nice to see one of those dudes step up as the go-to guy that you know you can rely on every time down. In special teams, I am going to buy the Alex Kinney hype in the sense that I, I don't think he's going to be a weakness like he was last year. But I'm selling on the place-kicking situation. I, I liked James Stefano's potential. He's got a strong leg, but in the few chances we got a chance to see him, he hit the goalpost a couple times. And the fact that this competition has gone this close to the season opener, yeah, I think you would have been more encouraged if Stefano just came in and, and won the job early. Right, yeah, I don't, I don't think he's going to be a 90% field goal kicker. I think it gives them some opportunities on some longer field goals that they didn't have last year, probably. Yeah. Um, and on kickoffs, I would assume they'll be in pretty good shape there as well, because he definitely has a good leg. But yeah, I'm not sure... He's going to be the most accurate guy right off the bat for us. Frank Umu is suspended from the team for an undetermined amount of time. This was not a legal issue. This was – trying to describe this without getting in trouble with people. Uh, a practice scuffle boiled over into being more than just a scuffle. I'll leave it at that. But, yeah, it's, it's unfortunate because I think Frank Umu is somebody you wanted to get a ton of snaps here, non-conference play, but now he's not going to get that. I think you're okay with that six-man rotation they have there, but again, mm-hmm. it comes more to Frank Umu's development that I think he could have benefited from. from uh, yeah, I mean, we'll see how long it ends up being. I mean, if it's seven games or like you know more than two or three games, I'll be worried, but I don't know if that's what's going to I wouldn't think so based right. off what I know, but... It wasn't a smart decision on his part. And, of course, Anthony Jewel Meese was arrested again. Neither of these incidents by themselves are that egregious that, like, I think the kid's future should be ruined. But when you're already suspended to do something as stupid yeah, as he did. so dumb. <laughs> like, it's, it's just, like, what are you doing? Do you think you're going to get away with that? That's just so, I don't, what are you, what are you thinking? Like, you ran into a guy. That's Just the problem. Give me your information and move on. By all accounts, Anthony Jewel Meese is a really good kid, but there certainly is an impulse control issue there. That yeah, that I just read that story and was just like, you have got to be kidding me. Like it's not even that bad, but it's just like the what were you thinking, dude? I don't I don't understand how what goes through your head that you're like, yeah, this is gonna work out for sure. <laughs> Whatever. So if you haven't heard, he was driving. Uh, Troy Lewis's car because Troy had had a few adult beverages. Uh, Troy Lewis, of course, is the brother of Drew Lewis, who was uh, briefly a running back at CU as a walk-on. Actually, looked pretty good at a brief time. Was, I think Idaho State he got some carries right last yeah. year. Mm-hmm. So he rear-ends somebody somehow. This I think he started offering money to the person that he hit. They started taking pictures of the damage, and then. Apparently, Anthony Jolmese steals the phone, throws it out a window, and yeah, just not a smart deal. <laughs> oh, man. But, so, I mean, we still have to see what happens with the domestic violence issue, which sounds worse than it really is if you read the details there, but are you are you willing to give Anthony Jolmese another chance? Maybe he does the Josh Tupo sabbatical for a year and yeah, comes back. Yeah. It's really, I mean, it seems to Goffavalu probably did more worse stuff and got kept getting chances, absolutely. right? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it's not – you can't really get kicked off the team for that, I don't think. I mean, it's really dumb, but, I mean, that's – that would be a pretty harsh punishment, I would think. But I guess we'll have to see how – what the results of the first issue are. I mean, based on what we've heard, it sounds like it was kind of – it was definitely overblown, but 
you never really know until you hear all the facts. Yeah. So we'll see how bad that is before I guess I really say. But based on what we know now, I would be surprised if he's gone forever. That would be pretty harsh, I think. But. All right. Up next, I have an interview with Shea Fields. He talks about his excitement getting ready for the season opener. Shay, we're finally into game week here. Have you noticed any difference just in terms of kind of the focus? And does it just feel any different out there on the practice fields? I mean, yeah, you can. I mean, you can tell now that we've uh, we've gone through fall camp, and now it's our first week of actually having a game. So, I mean, everybody's picking it up. Offense is getting there. Defense is getting there. I mean, the intensity is there. Did you get a chance to tune into the CSU Oregon State game on Saturday? And if so, what was kind of your your takeaways from it? Yeah, I watched it. I mean, I mean, they're 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 excited. They had a new stadium. They had a good game. Now it's just come out, play against them, try to get the W. Not that you guys would overlook them on any level, but mm-hmm. but you did blow them out last year. Just seeing them play another Pac-12 team and, and win the game by a pretty lopsided amount help kind of focus you guys this week? Yeah, I mean, it it, it definitely helps humble us. I mean, especially since Oregon State is a Pac-12 team. They're in our conference, and seeing that they can beat a Pac-12 team doesn't really scare us, but it, it makes us not overlook them. And defensively, they were pretty opportunistic. CSU's defense in that game mm-hmm. is ball security been even more of a point of emphasis here these last couple days it's not really more of a point of emphasis that's just one of our uh key key well not contributes but key items that we look for in a game coach mac always preaches it uh, especially this is kind of like a role game since we're not playing here but he always preaches ball security turnovers and takeaways will lose you a game so that's that's just what we try to focus on today. Obviously, we hear a whole lot about the competition going on in that receivers room. Mm-hmm. Could kind of take us back there. What what is it like day by day, um, and, and how much do you guys kind of push each other when you, when you see another guy make a play? How much does that kind of motivate you? I mean, it, it motivates us a lot because we don't want just one guy doing all the work. I mean, everybody contributes. Everybody's happy for each other. Um, I mean, that the competition in the room is just amazing. That you know, you have a bad day or a bad week of practice, and that next guy can come in and take your spot. So. And Coach Chev has the the yak board, the knockdown board. It was pretty. That yak board was pretty close between you and, and Devin and, and Bryce last year, right? Who, who ended up winning that? Uh, Bryce got the knockdowns, I think, with eleven. Okay. And I think I got the uh, yak yards with like two sixty something. Is that a big deal? I mean, are, are, do you go into this season kind of have that as a goal? Oh yeah. Well, I mean, we always have that competition. You want to be first in everything. Uh, but I mean, if, if it if it doesn't happen like that, so be it. I mean, as long as you're happy for the other guy. You're also in the top ten in a lot of career statistical uh, areas. What, uh, how important would it be to you to keep climbing up those and kind of leave your, your legacy here to you? I mean, it'll be a, a, a blessed opportunity to do that. I mean, if it's in God's plan, then I'm, I'm all for it. But if not, I mean, I'm somewhere in the top, so that's fine by me. What are you better at today as a receiver than maybe you were in previous seasons here? Uh, just my physicalness. I mean, just getting off the physical DBs. Uh, and also a leadership aspect. Since I'm an older guy now, you kind of look at the guys that went before you and try to uh, not remodel, but also go over what they did and try to do more. And is there a guy offensively or defense that, that doesn't get talked a lot about, but that you think is going to surprise some people this year? Um, I mean, I'll say Mike Atkins. I mean, he 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 was kind of hurt last year, didn't really play too much. And it, I mean, I, I just tell teams don't sleep on him. He he's one of those guys that can take control of a game, whether he's in or he's not getting that many reps. He can still take control of the reps that he gets. Thanks, Shay. Appreciate it. Thank you. That was big play, Shay, talking with me after a recent practice. What do you, what are your expectations for for him this year? I mean, it's hard to say. There's just so many guys who are going to get you know balls thrown their way. I th- you probably have to feel like he's the most likely guy to have to lead the team in 
touchdown receptions, uh, maybe even yards. Probably not catches, though. He's more of a deep threat. I think Devin Ross probably is your guy who might you, you might think will have the most catches, but um, just because he has probably the, le- the least amount of competition at his position as well. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he's he's gotten better every single year at CU for sure, um, but I'd like to see him be a little more consistent this season. He definitely had some huge games for us and some where he didn't show up very well. So uh, that's kind of what I was talking about earlier. We need a go-to guy. I'd like it to be Shea. All right, we got a lot of questions, so let's jump into the Buff Stampede mailbag. Reed J asked, Tyler, will you be selling all your assets and throwing it on over 65? Do you like the Buffs minus six? Um, yes, on the first one. I'm not selling all my assets, but I do have a substantial bet on the over 65. Um, the minus six I don't love. Um, this game could go a lot of different ways. That's how I honestly feel. Uh, we talked about them getting an early start in the season. They have the jitters out. I think if we play well, we will win. But I think there's a very reasonable chance that if we do not, we're going to have a frustrating day. So I will not be playing uh, the spread, but I will definitely be playing the over. I'm looking it up right now, but I think I don't think you're going to have to give up six, right? Isn't it about four and a half? Yeah, now? the last I saw is four and a half, but I mean... Depends on where you... Yeah, every book is a little different. There's some minus five and a half, minus four and a half, minus six actually still in a couple places. Uh, this is according to VegasInsider.com, which tracks that stuff. So, mm-hmm. All right, next question, Go Buffs 80. Number one, after seeing what Colorado State did to Oregon State, do you think we will see the buff back around the field more often? Number two, do you think they will have Isaiah Oliver follow Michael Gallup, as that will be a tall order for Trey Eudofia? So number one there, I think the buff backer was going to be on the field a majority of the time regardless. I don't think the Oregon State game is going to change their game plan there. I think against most teams this year, unless it's a passing situation, obvious passing situation, in those cases you'll have the nickelback, which will probably be Ronnie Blackman. But other than that, Ryan Muller is going to be out there playing starters reps basically in that buff backer role. Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, I agree with you pretty much 100%. They're going to... I think they're going to sell out to stop the run first and see if Nick Stevens is capable of beating them. Uh, that was kind of the approach last year, and it worked out really well for us. I mean, I don't think this secondary is as good as last year's for sure, but uh, I think they're going to make him prove that he's capable of beating them over the top before they make any adjustments. Mike McIntyre was asked about Oliver and whether he's going to follow the other team's best receiver in, uh, after a recent practice, and he basically he alluded to the fact that I think they're going to play straight up but then if a Michael Gallup or somebody starts really gashing them, that Isaiah Oliver and the other defensive backs have cross-trained at the other cornerback spot. So if they need to do that, they will. Uh, but I, I don't know if they're going to necessarily go into the game saying, sure, Trey, you, you can't guard him, you can't cover him, and just try to avoid that altogether. I don't think that's going to be their approach. That's not how they play defense typically. They usually play sides. So I think that's really kind of a last resort type of situation for them. It really changes up how they make calls. Um, and, you know, they have usually Oliver plays on the one side, Eudofia the other, or depending on what year you're talking about. So I, I would be surprised if they start off with him chasing, but I think they're going to try to get him on Gallup as much as possible. C. Bardeen asked, is this as relaxed a camp as you have seen with Mike McIntyre? I can't remember him having a salty day with the press this fall. Does that give you confidence that the team is ready and most of the questions going into camp have been answered? What is the demeanor of the other coaches? Are you worried of overconfidence? Is CUCSU 
CSU OSU blowout a good thing to keep CSU focused? Our friend uh, Elrod is probably just shaking his head right now. <laughs> but uh, thanks for the question, Steve Bardeen. Um, One question at a time here. Yeah, so McIntyre, he was pretty relaxed last preseason as well. I do think you take some solace in the fact that he has that demeanor because I don't think Mike McIntyre is the best poker face, right? I think we can no, yeah. agree on that. Well, yeah, we were talking about this, I think, maybe the last podcast or just when we were hanging out last week. So was, you can usually tell if he's frustrated with this team's talent level and he does not appear to be. Um, yeah, honestly, I think he feels really good. And even regardless of the CSU result, I think they're going to be – really good this year so obviously you want to win that game but I still think we have a chance to have a pretty good season um, no matter how that game goes obviously you want to win <laughs> so yeah. you don't want to start off with an L but I, I think the Pac-12 has some vulnerable teams this year that we can take advantage of the ultimate goal is to be you know let's get back to a bowl game and anything on top of that um, you know you, you want to see improvement of course but that I feel like you lose momentum if you don't get to that point so that's the most important aspect for me now, McIntyre did skip his media obligations last Friday, and he looked pretty frustrated for the, I don't know, five seconds that he was going to wait around, and then he's like, no, screw this, I'm out of here. <laughs> uh, I don't know if that was like right after the Frank Umu deal, I don't know. But he was at least salty one day, but fortunately, we didn't have to feel his wrath too much because we just did our other interviews. <laughs> he just ignored you. <laughs> he just ignored it. <laughs> but no, he's been in a great mood. He's, uh, I, I think that, that you can read into that a little bit for sure. In terms of the other coaches, I don't. I mean, I, I'm not that great at reading body language, and I don't know. They they seem fine. I don't think there's an overconfidence. I don't. Again, I'm not probably the best person to read that. Yeah, I don't think there's overconfidence. I think. I mean, if you watch that CSU Oregon State game this week, I'm sure they're more focused than they have been. I mean, you got to be. They look like yeah. a capable football team. You better be ready to go. Yeah, I think the you know, coaches are never going to be laid back about a season opener. But I, there were probably a few players in that film room session that, after seeing that final score, they're, okay, I'm really going to pay extra attention to these yeah. details now. Black and gold Josh had this to say. Mm-hmm. Tyler was pretty vocal on Twitter about CU fans over under, I'm sorry, underestimating CSU, even to the point where he said he'd take Michael Gallup over the majority of the Blackout Boys. Should we talk about taking away his buff card or giving him a new title besides fan correspondent? That is from Black and Gold Josh. I will say this about Tyler. Yes, he is our fan correspondent, and he makes no apologies for being a fan. But one of the things I appreciate you, Tyler, is that you tell it how you feel it is. You're not one of those like sports talk callers that just sits there and you know it loves everything or hates everything. You have you have a take. And in this situation, CSU played a really good football game. I don't think you need your buff card taken away. Yeah, it just—I mean, it's pretty simple for me. I'm—I'm going to call it like I see it. And I thought CSU was a pretty good football team before this game, and I still do. Um, and I don't see any issue with saying that. Um, my job is not to just blow hard everything CU and give you the most positive outlook in every possible situation. That's not what I do here, um, and that's just not how I'm wired. I'm gonna. This is how I feel, and that's fine with me. I mean, you, you can take away my title if you want, Josh. But can I ask you a question, too? Are you more mad about what I said on Twitter about CSU being fairly good or that Domino's pizza order? <laughs> oh, jeez. Tyler's coming back with the fire here. <laughs> whatever, man. Like, what, I, I actually, you're mad at me because I think CSU's good? All right, whatever. Well, I actually didn't even see your whole Twitter thing. What, what happened there? 
we were people were just talking about how the, it was basically just a bunch of people saying, "Oh, Oregon State sucks," not giving CSU any credit. And it's like, do we really need to do this? Like they played a good game. Michael Gallup is a good wide receiver. I'm just tired of people saying that Michael Gallup wouldn't play on this team. Like, give me a break, man. He's one of the top 12 wide receivers in the entire country in terms of most scouting services. He's going to get drafted in the first three or four rounds. Like, he's a good football player. Can we just admit that and move on? Let's move along here. Fenty2 asked, why the F are we scheduling CSU in future years? So, I... you got to give Rick George some credit here. I know CU fans are frustrated by the fact that they're they've kind of verbally agreed to this home and home coming up. Rick George listened to the CU fans. No more playing down in Denver. He listened to CU fans. Don't have to play CSU every year. But I think he also realized there's some responsibility, I think, for just the state of Colorado. I think it's good for the state that this game takes place. And yes, it doesn't have to happen every year, but Let's be honest, CSU is the closest thing that CU has to a rival right now. I don't think people yeah. should fight it as much as they do. No, I agree. I personally like it. Um, I don't necessarily like it in Denver, and I think ultimately you want CSU to get into a bigger conference so that the rivalry becomes legitimized because right now I think it's tough for us. It's kind of a lose-lose situation. But I think it would be best-case scenario for everyone if they were good enough that they got into a power conference and then there's a legitimate we are two power conference teams in Colorado that play fairly often. I don't need. I don't think we need to play every year, but it would be nice to get them on the schedule. Kind of what they're doing right now. Every other year, you know, two out of every six years or whatever, it's going to be something like that. Because I think it's important that we play sometimes. Yeah. Um, and I, th- I think the goal, hopefully, is that by the time we are playing them again, they're on their way to being a Power Five team, and that rivalry could become pretty fun. To me, the ideal situation would be that in back-to-back years you play CU, CSU twice and then Nebraska and kind of rotate those two back and forth would be fun. I don't know if that's realistic. I don't know if Nebraska – I know they have agreed to four games with the Buffs over the next 12 years, but I don't know if they'd be willing to do that long-term, but that would be kind of a fun back and forth. Yeah, I think it would be tough to for especially for Nebraska to take up that much of their non-conference maybe, but it would be cool if they would be willing to do it. Ralphie's run and asked, I would be interested to hear you guys do a, uh, do a position-by-position breakdown on CU versus CSU. How does our D-line match up against their O-line, wide receiver versus DB, etc.? Thanks, guys. We appreciate all your work. It's going to take too long, I think, to go position-by-position. Position. Can't you? It, it, you can almost simplify this, right? When Colorado State's offense is on the field, their ground game, you would probably say going into this game is a slight edge to Colorado State. And then passing slight edge to CSU or even there? Yeah. I mean, I think offensively they have the advantage over our D until we prove otherwise. There's, we just have to get on the field and see what we got. I think talent-wise we can match up with them. But they have a great scheme and good skill position players and a, and a veteran quarterback who's had success. So, I mean, I think offensively we're not going to stop them every time. So, uh, you, you know, you have to win a few, I think, is all you really need to beat um, them this time around because we're going to score a ton of points, I feel like. But, yeah, I mean, offensively, they're, they have the advantage until we prove otherwise, I think. And then in terms of when CU's offense is on the field, they basically have the advantage across the board, in my mm-hmm. opinion. The only area that would maybe you could give Colorado State an edge is in terms of they should prove that they were really opportunistic in creating takeaways, right. and we expect Montez to, at times – throw some bad picks this year. Yeah, he can't get baited into bad mistakes. I think their linebackers are pretty solid if they're healthy. 
Um, so there, you know, that could be kind of interesting. But yeah, I mean, there's no reason that they should keep us under 30. King KB asked, Adam, you had some skepticism on the depth chart that was released, but I'm not sure you ever mentioned which areas you feel might be misrepresented. Any uh, specific positions you think we may see different starters at in short order? So this preseason depth chart is actually not that bad. It's not... Remember last year they had the preseason depth chart that had Michael Matthews listed as their backup nose tackle? Yeah, that was fun. Uh, So nothing crazy like that. But I think their depth chart doesn't implement the buff backer, which is almost a full-time position on this defense. It's almost kind of their base defense, right? I would say it It is a full-time position. They're going to be in that more than they're in nickel, probably. So just the way it's listed is a little bit just off because then they have the two outside backer positions. Uh, They had both Dante Sparacco and Jacob Callier listed as backups. One of them was ahead of Timothy Coleman, which I thought was a little interesting because what we've heard is Coleman's going to be out there a lot as a pass rush specialist. So that yeah, I just think he's going to play multiple positions, so it's hard to really slot him. They're going to put him in a position where he can rush the passer. I don't know if that's necessarily going to be outside backer if he's going to have his hand in the ground. He's obviously done both, so I think you'll see him do both based on the formation he's lined up against. I think Jacob Colley and Dante Sprocco are both going to be really good players, and I think you would like to redshirt one of those two, and I think at this point it sounds more likely that it would be Spiraco. I know he could do some things on special teams to help you out as well, but with Derek McCartney and Taron Hassel back and even a Michael Matthews, who's you've got some experienced guys at outside backer, I think it would be a shame to burn both those guys redshirt this year. Yeah, I'd be surprised if both of them played. I mean, kind of the same thing about the offensive line guys. There's a few true freshmen or redshirt freshmen on the two deep. Unless there's a lot of injuries, those guys are going to be preserved, safe for future years. So, I mean, I think for the most part, the depth chart looks pretty good, but it won't be exact. Yeah. All right. Next question from Ryan J. 112111. A lot of digits in that username. <laughs> Thanks for all the hard work. You guys do a great job. My question, if you consider five in the secondary and two inside linebackers, this leaves four down linemen slash outside rushers. Can you list players in order of most plays for for the CSU game and the season? Last year, Gilbert in the front three played a vast majority at these spots and were obviously a major plus for our, for the team. But this is a new year with all four of those guys gone. What is your level of comfort with this position group? What do you think? So I would say first is Leo Jackson. Probably played the yeah. most out of all, all of that group there. Um, Derek McCartney probably as well. Uh, then Chris Malumba, then Javier Edwards. Okay. I wouldn't strongly disagree with that. I think George Frazier will probably get as many reps as Malumba. But we'll, Jeff Coates said he's going to play about 15 to 20 snaps. I think Malumba will play more than, more that. than that. I mean, Frazier, if you include his offense, probably play more for sure because I think yeah. he's going to be back and forth. But Yeah. I think I do think they're going to use uh, Jacob Collier as, as, a, as a rush guy quite a bit. He is, if you look at him physically, you go, I think he could really benefit from a redshirt year, kind of sculpt that body a little bit. But when a guy just goes out there consistently in practice and makes big plays, both pass rushing and he's had, I don't know, two or three interceptions, it's hard to keep him off the field. Yeah, I was able to see that one practice with Chris as a part of the, um, you know, the sponsorship deal and everything. And he was playing the whole time. And I was like, huh. 
interesting. Might, it sounds like he might be playing a little bit. So, and it seems like ever since that point, he's gotten a lot of reps. So, I think, yeah, at this point, it seems fairly likely that he's going to be playing. The Real Mizzou Buff asked, what player or players, even position group if you'd like, do you consider to be underrated on this team and who will surprise fans this year? Most underrated. I would maybe go with just the secondary in general. The starting unit I think is going to be yeah, I would pretty even, darn good. I would even say the defense as a whole. I, honestly, I think this team is probably going to be better defensively than most expect. And I think offensively, they might be slightly worse than most people expect. Hmm. So I, I think it'll be a little bit of a different year than maybe some people are saying. There are going to be times when the offense is unbelievable, times that they're kind of frustrating. Kind of like last year, I guess that was a little bit the case as well. But defensively, I think they have a lot more talent than people are giving them credit for right now. Not to um, the extent we're going to see a 10-5 to 5 game, though, right? No, no, no. Yeah, no, I don't think. Yeah, nothing like that. I would be surprised if that happens for sure. Um, oh, man, underrated. Besides that, on an individual level, I think KB Anento is definitely underrated. People don't understand how good he is. Uh, the offensive line as a whole, I think maybe from a national scale, is a little bit underrated right now. I think they should be pretty good. Uh, one player I throw in there, Jared Coe. We don't really talk about him. Yeah. He's not going to be an All-American or anything. I think Leo Jackson's probably a little bit underrated, too. Yeah. I didn't play a ton last year, but I think he's really reliable and has a chance to have a pretty good year for us. LJ Buff 4 asked, Adam, do you think the quarterback battle initially in camp was much closer than we were led to believe? It seems like all the reports lately are that Steven Montez has had a great last 10 days or so, and I get the sense that he has separated himself. The emphasis has me thinking that Sam Neuer has had a really strong camp. Either way, it sounds as if our quarterback depth is deep, even if not experienced. I don't think the quarterback competition was ever really that close. Yeah, I don't either. Um, he's been the guy from spring ball pretty much. But that makes Sam Neuer seem like he's not doing a good job. And I don't think that's true at all. I think he's really capable backup. He has had a very good camp. I just think Montez is their guy. And there hasn't really been a whole lot of controversy behind that. And let's break it down a little bit more in the sense that they go good, good versus good, which is ones versus ones. So Steven Montez every day is going against an Isaiah Oliver. Right. Sam Neuer has guys like Juwan Winfrey, LaVisca Chenault, Katie Nixon to throw the ball against. KB on Anto. <laughs> KB on Anto. And you know, we talked about earlier, a concern one I have is the depth at cornerback. So he's right. going against those second stringers there. Right. Young guys. I mean, right, you know, you're going against those dudes going against undersized and redshirt freshman Ronnie Blackman. There's a pretty substantial... Um, you know, battle there that's going to be won by the wide receivers. And I think Ronnie Blackman is going to be pretty good, but it's just, you know, the, the, the level of talent at wide receiver in that second unit is almost unfair. Yeah. Pikla asked, it seems like Carson Wells has been struggling this fall as a true freshman. I was impressed with his numbers coming in and kind of expected him to play. Do you see him redshirting or will he contribute somewhere such as special teams? Carson Wells is definitely redshirting. Without being in there to watch it, I, I'm not going to say he struggled. It's just that they needed two of those three guys to step up, and Van Deest and Landman were the two that did. Well, they didn't really know where they wanted to play him either. They moved him around a little bit. I think he came from a small school in Florida. Um, they're trying to move him positions. And I think there was always some development that needed to be had with him. So I, I don't think anybody really expected him to play this year. 
uh, especially on the staff. I think that he has a chance to be pretty good down the line once they figure out exactly where he fits in. He's a great athlete, and I, as you as he alluded to, I think on special teams he will definitely be a good player for us in the future. No reason to burn it this year, though. Yeah, after watching him win that fastest man competition at uh, Under the Lights camp, I can't wait to see him on kickoff coverage. Yeah, he's going to light somebody up somewhere along the way. J.G. Buffs asked, what road games will each of you be attending this season? You hitting the road for any games, Tyler? I actually don't have any planned right now. Um, there's a chance that I'll be there for ASU. I would like to make that work out if the timing allows. Uh, I have a lot of people who live down there that are buddies of mine, so that'd be fun. My girlfriend does as well. Her best friend lives there too, so um, that'd be nice. And then I would like to get to Utah one of these days. So maybe I It's can an underrated road trip. Yeah. I have just booked my travel up for the Oregon State game yesterday, going down to the Arizona State game to cover that game. I will be out in Salt Lake City as well. Probably going to skip the Washington State trip. I did that the last time they were out there in Spokane's a nice little town, but it's just such a really tough place to get to. If I'm going to maybe not go on a road trip or two, assuming that this is a bowl team and, and knowing that I'm going to have to spend a week somewhere in December, that's probably going to be one that I, I skip, and I'm unsure about going to UCLA. But, uh, yeah, we'll have coverage even if I'm not at one or two of those games, Patrick and I will probably do like a post-game podcast or something. Uh, but, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. All those trips I've done before, though, so there's not the newness factor there. I can't remember if I – I haven't covered a game at Cal yet. Um, I think that might be the only Pac-12 road trip that I haven't done. But have you done uh, – how many have you done in the Pac-12 so far? Not many. I've been to USC, obviously. Um, I've been to ASU twice. Uh, I think that's it. Okay. Yeah. So I haven't. I haven't. You gotta. You gotta do the Washington road trip. Sometime. Yeah, I've never been to Washington. It's one of one of the probably the highest on my priority list. Okay. Of going to Seattle is what I'm I love the most. I'm I, going for a wedding actually in December, so I will be there. I know our good friend Will Whalen doesn't agree with this, but I love the Stanford road trip too. That's a, a cool trip. I like that area. All right. Next question here. CU Buff zero seven. Adam, most people would agree that Montez has better physical attributes than Cepho, but how do you feel Montez will be able to measure up to Cepho in terms of leadership? Do you think there will be a noticeable lack of leadership from the quarterback position this year from last? Cepho was a, a really good leader. It was something that he developed into a little bit. I think when he was a really young player, uh, he kind of had his click and he wasn't necessarily the, the, the man in that locker room, but I think his toughness on the field really allowed his teammates to rally behind him on, on, on game day. Yeah, I agree 100%. It's hard to not, you know, rally around a guy like that because he was getting beat up all the time and just kept out, you know, just kept getting up and playing. So, yeah, I agree 100%. I mean, the question is reasonable. Um, I don't think lack of leadership is the right way to phrase it, though. Just um, different type right. of leadership. Yeah, I mean, I think Montez is not the leader that Cepho was, but he's – younger than Cepho was as well and in time he, he has a chance to get there as well so yeah it's not going to be quite the same but Cepho is probably the best leader I've ever watched so I mean that's kind of almost unfair to ask of Montez. Now Montez does have more moxie in just from a confidence standpoint. He's got more swag for sure yeah, yeah there's no doubt about that so I, I, yeah, I don't think that's going to be a major issue uh, he's, got a, he's got a tough challenge though he's got to spread that ball around to keep everybody happy for sure JDub925 had this question here. Now that school is in session, is Jake Moretti out there practicing? 
Also, now that you're no longer affiliated with rivals, would you agree that they try to prop up and promote Nebraska? I still follow them on Twitter, and I'm not sure if it's my gold-colored glasses, but most of their posts seem to be about them. Jake Moretti, good question. I need to ask about that. So I appreciate that uh, question su- suggestion there. In terms of, I don't, I think, is he alluding to just that they promote a lot of the Nebraska content? Or I've heard some people say that they think the star ratings get skewed in Nebraska's. He's not yeah. intimating that, is he? No, I think, I think it's probably both. But yeah, it sounds to me like he's talking about more about when they're tweeting or whatever, they have a lot okay. of stories about Nebraska recruits, which is true, but they have a gigantic following. I mean, you have to kind of cater to the people who make you money, and Nebraska obviously has one of the biggest fan bases in the country, so by definition, they're going to get a lot of coverage. You might not like it personally. I don't either as well, but it makes sense from a business perspective. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that – I know people try to uh, have these conspiracy theories about the star ratings and all that stuff, but at the same time, when I was with Rivals for 13 years, we had a ton of Colorado guys get bumped up after they committed and not just because they committed to Colorado, but because of different things. They, you know, mm-hmm. they gained 20 pounds without losing speed. Like there's little things that you go back and reevaluate these guys during their senior year. And some guys get bumped up. I don't know if I'm buying into that conspiracy. Me neither. But yeah, I mean, I don't know about all the Twitter stuff. I don't, I don't, I think I still follow rivals. It's not a bad, it's not like I have a, yeah, I do. You do. I still follow most of those okay. guys. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Not bad to have balanced information and get you yeah. know information from everywhere. Taser94 asked, Adam, please discuss the Blake Stenstrom situation in greater detail. He also wanted to know about 2020 targets, but we have to kind of limit our discussion on this podcast. i got to get up to Boulder for a press lunch in here pretty soon. Blake Stenstrom, if you saw the Valor game that was televised on Altitude last Friday night, hit his head almost kind of in a, a whipping-type fashion. And it looked like he kind of banged up his shoulder as well, was down on the field. They needed a stretcher uh, to, to get him off the field. But by the, I think when it first happened, it was really scary. But by the time they had gotten him strapped up and he, they were leaving the field, it was almost it transitioned over to being more precautionary. He, mm-hmm. of course, was moving and gave a thumbs up. It was diagnosed as a mild concussion, and he's been doing better. I'm told that he's going to be back in action pretty soon. So uh, good news, obviously, because for yeah. a split second there, you were really worried about him. Yeah, I mean, they've already had quite a few injuries in this recruiting class, so it's starting to pile up on him a little bit. So we need him to get more experience, obviously, game experience. So I'd like to see him get back out there. JG Buffs asks, what's the best Mexican food in Boulder? I honestly don't think there's any great Mexican food in Boulder, which is kind of weird. Um, Efren's is fine, I guess. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Efren's is, is solid, but I yeah, I don't really crave any Boulder Mexican places. Uh Decor Zone is my spot down in Denver. Have you been there? there go. Yeah, Decor Zone is pretty good. Yeah. I like it. Um, I like La Loma. That's probably my favorite. It's, okay. pri- it's pricey for sure, but greatest, the best chili rellenos I've ever had in my life. Let's get into some season predictions here, Tyler. Let's start with the true freshmen. Who, I think there's basically seven true freshmen that could play this year. Katie Nixon, I think, is definitely going to, right? Yeah, he's going to be a guy that at the very least helps you a ton on special teams. I think he's probably your, 
I don't know if backup slot is the right way to do it because Jay McIntyre is going to be in that role as well. But they're, I think they're going to play them together at times in four wideout situations with both of them inside. So, yeah, I think he'll get a good amount of snaps. Well, he brings such a unique skill set. Almost kind of a, you could almost use him as a scat back if you want. Oh, yeah, to. I'm sure we'll definitely see some reverses or have him line up in the backfield, definitely. So he'll definitely play. What about LaVisca Chenault? If you're Chev, if you're Coach Mack, are you, are you putting him out there this year? I mean, if he plays... I'm really hoping KB Anento doesn't play because there's no way there's snaps for both of those guys. So you're wasting somebody there if you do that. I, If I had to guess, I would say LaVisca's probably not going to play this year. Um, but we'll see how it goes. I mean, at some point, you just got to be like, all right, this guy's getting four snaps. That's not worth it. Um, but, I mean, again, if he's redshirt, <laughs> you have some serious wide receiver talent. What about Jared Poplowski at tight end? I think he's probably playing. Uh, I think they like him. He's a little more versatile than the other tight ends on the roster. I think they're going to try to get him ready for years to come. Jonathan Van Deest defensively, I think it's pretty pretty much a sure thing at this point that he's going to play, yes. both on special teams and backup Mike linebacker. Yeah, sounds like they expect him to play this year. So um, until things change, yeah, he's going to be your backup inside guy. Jacob Callier we talked about earlier. I think it's pretty it's, – the signs are pointing towards him playing this year as well. Yeah, I mean, they certainly are preparing as if uh, he's going to get some playing time this year, uh, especially if they need some pass rush help. So, yeah, I expect him to play as well. Do you expect Nate Lamon and Dante Sparacco to play this year? If Callier plays, Sparacco's probably not going to play. So one of those two I think is going to play, and I'd be surprised at this point if Lamon plays as well. But one, inj- one injury in there, though, they, they right. basically yeah. have to. Yeah if, yeah, if someone gets hurt, he'll probably play. But I think they're trying to separate out those freshman linebackers not so they're not all in the same class. And what's good about this is even the guys like a Katie Nixon, Jonathan Van Deese that are expected to play, at least going into the season, they're backups, which is what you want to see. Mm-hmm. You kind of want to give true freshmen uh, that get their feet wet but not – overwhelm them with too much of, of a role so that, that's a good situation there let's play over under Tyler I got seven categories here if you you came really close what, what were we doing with the uh the signy trivia game it was going to be G- free GQ right oh yeah yeah I barely missed it last okay year. so I got seven categories here and I'm going to mark this down as you give me the answers Okay. And if you get the majority of them right then we'll we'll get you a nice meal after the season where, where, yeah. do, you, where do you want to go if you win this? whatever I'm down for anything. All right. You pick good spots. Okay. Steven Montez over under 27.5 passing touchdowns. Now, that would be the 27 would be the second best season. Well, Seppel uh, Lufau has the record with 28. Yeah, that sounds right. So basically, if you go over here, you're saying that he's going to at least tie Seppel's record or break it. If you go under, uh, of course. He would still have a really good season if it's in that those twenties, but yeah, would be I guess good. I would have to lean probably under only because I think they really like Philip Lindsay at the goal line, and they're going to use him a lot. I mean, okay. twenty-seven and a half is over two a game on average. You have to figure if Northern Colorado and Texas State go correctly, he's going to be out after halftime. Those are his big opportunities to get huge numbers. I think I think it'll be close, okay. but I'll, I'll say under. Sticking with Steven Montez, over under 12.5 interceptions. 
Now, Stefan Lufau, that sophomore season we talked about, when he had those 28 touchdowns, he threw 15 picks that year. Yeah, for I, think, I think this is probably over. Um, I could see him having more than one in a game. Definitely, he'll have probably one game where he has two or three at the very least. Um, so, yeah, I think that one. Again, I don't think it's an outrageous line by any stretch, but I will take the over there. Maybe okay. like 13 to 15 somewhere. Okay. Philip Lindsay, over under 1,150.5 rushing yards on the season. Over. And I think it won't be that close. All right. I expect him to have a giant year. CU offense, over under, fifth-ranked scoring offense in the Pac-12. So obviously here, under would be a positive. They'd finish uh, in the top five in the, in the conference in uh, scoring offense. Yeah, so this one was tough for me because I feel pretty confident that Oregon, Washington State, Washington, and USC will finish higher. So they're fifth at the most. Um, Cal, you know, they're a different team. They normally try to score a ton of points, but this year is a little different for them. I'll say under, but I think they're going to be sixth. Well, that would be over then because that would be sixth. It would be over five. Oh, okay, we're doing it. Okay, yeah, yes, it's yeah. a little confusing. Yeah, okay. yeah. So yes, above fifth or worse than fifth. I'll okay, say that. <laughs> okay, okay. Now CU's defense over under seventh ranked scoring defense in the Pac-12. Man, that's a good line. This is the one I struggled with the most. <sighs> Again, USC and Washington feel pretty good about finishing ahead of them. Utah probably as well. I'll say I'll say they'll finish better than seventh. Wow. Okay. All right. Rick Gamboa over under one hundred and five point five tackles. Um, probably over. Okay. I don't even remember what he finished with last year, but I think he'll probably lead the team in tackles and average somewhere between nine and ten a game. So that would, I think, get him just slightly over that amount. And lastly, Isaiah Oliver, over under 17.5 pass breakups. So this one I thought was the easiest. And I'm going to say under, and there's 17.5 is a lot. And I honestly think people just aren't going to throw at him after about the fourth game of the year. So um, that one was the easiest for me because I just think people are going to avoid him and try to go after the freshman. Okay. Do you want to go down the schedule and, and you tell me, Tyler, which games you've marked down as a win, which games you've marked as a loss, obviously, sure. starting with Colorado State. I, I think I'm going to guess, assume that you're going to pick them to go 3-0 and um, in non-conference. Yeah, I'm going to pick them to go 3-0. and I think CSU is a little more of a toss-up than a lot of people on the boards are pretending right now. I mean, there's there's people saying they're expecting them to go up 28-7. I'm <laughs> Is it possible? Yeah, sure. Is it likely? Probably not. Um, so that's, I mean, I think they're definitely going 2-1 and one at the worst. CSU, I'd consider, I consider, I always do the schedule by, like, is this a toss-up? And then I try to yes, say yeah. they win half of those. So that would be a toss-up for me. That Washington game in week four, I think, is a loss. They have a ton of talent. Um, that's a big game. I mean, I think there's potential for an upset there, but if I'd... If I'm going toss-up, loss, or win, that's a, that's a loss for me right now. UCLA, that would be a loss for me as well. Um, we'll have to see how Josh Rosen comes back, but I think if they get right, they have a chance to be pretty good this year. Arizona, that's going to be a win. Oregon State, that's going to be a win. Um, Washington State, I feel like, is a little bit of a toss-up. Cal, that's going to be a win. 
Arizona State, that's going to be a win. USC, that's a loss. And then that Utah game for me is a toss-up as well. So, so what's your overall record for this team? Um, so a two, three, four, five, six. I have six wins, three toss-ups, and three losses, right? So let's say somewhere between seven and eight. And I've been saying all along that seven and five is what I expect them to okay. go. So that's what I'll stick with. Okay. It, this is going to sound like uh, I'm on the fence completely, but to me, this is between a six and a nine win team. And what it all comes down to is the health of that front unit defensively. If they stay healthy and a Javier Edwards, Rick Gamboa, Isaiah Oliver, those guys stay completely healthy through the season, I really think this could be a nine win football team. But this is football. Injuries happen. Mm-hmm. You can't expect them to, to stay healthy through the entire season, all those important guys. So I'm like you. I'm, I'm stuck between seven and eight wins. The fact that they went through camp relatively healthy. I know Nick Fisher had the hamstring in injury. Rick Gamboa and Edwards were sidelined briefly for minor injuries. But by and large, you didn't lose really important guys to season-ending injuries. So that's going to make me lean towards the, the eight-win side, and I think I'm going to yeah. go with that. But, yeah, it, it's it's such a tough decision between yeah, I mean, those two. There's a lot of variables, I think, this year. So I agree with you that six nothing between six and nine would really surprise me. I think you talked about the defense. For me, it's how quickly does Steven Montez get comfortable. I mean, if he's inconsistent all year, maybe we win a game we're not supposed to, but we're probably going to lose a game or two we're not supposed to as well if he doesn't get that consistency. If he really dials in and becomes – what we think he can be if he reaches his potential, this team is going to be really good. Yeah. Tyler, let's do your Pac-12 power rankings for the first time this year. Um, Oregon State, obviously, is the only team. Well, Stanford played, too. Uh, so I have we have yeah. a couple of teams that have played so far. But this is, by and large, kind of your, your preseason power rankings. Yeah, so we're going to start from 12 and go to 1. Yeah, let's do reverse order. Yep. Do here. All right, so... Um, number 12, fairly easy for me, honestly. I think Cal is the worst team in the conference this year. Um, I have their over-under is three and a half wins. I honestly think they're not going to get to that. So okay. um, I think they're going to be the worst team in the conference this year. Um, second, I have – so it's hard to determine, like, talent-wise or where they're going to finish in the standings because I think depending on who you play, it changes a little bit. But – I kind of have Arizona State and Arizona grouped together. I think Arizona State is a better team. I think their schedule is harder. Uh, they could very easily start conference play 0-6. That's a good way to quit on the rest of the season. Um, so those two I kind of have lumped in. I had Oregon State above those two. They looked obviously very poor in in game one. So I'm going to have them a solid four, but I think they could sneak into that bottom three as well okay. if things don't work out for them. Um, let's see. Let me double check where we are here. Um, okay. So next I have Utah. Uh, I think there's obviously a significant gap between, um, those bottom four teams and where Utah is. I expect them to be pretty solid. And I actually think that grouping of CU, UCLA, and Utah are very tight. Um, so I could see them kind of each of those teams finishing two through four in the South and it wouldn't really surprise me. Um, up in the north, um, I have Washington State next. They have a pretty tough schedule as well. I like their uh, veterans. They have a ton of returning starters back, a ton of returning 
Um, letter winners, guys who play a ton for them, but I don't know if they have elite talent this year outside of Luke Falk, who is an absolute stud and underrated nationally. Kind of like well, the ground game too is going to be pretty good again this year. They bring back right. all their backs. Yeah, I, th- yeah, I think they'll. I think they'll be pretty good. It's just a matter of do they have the wins because of their schedule. Um, I think all of these teams that we're talking about at this point are going to be borderline top twenty-five candidates this year. Um, just like I said in the South, I kind of had CU and UCLA grouped together. Um, I think they're pretty tightly knit, and UCLA obviously has a lot of question marks as well. So does Colorado. Um, if Josh Rosen has a big year like people think he can, I think UCLA will probably get second in division. Um, if he struggles or has injuries, I think they could easily fall to fourth. Um, so a lot rides on him there. Uh, Oregon I have above those guys simply because their schedule is a joke. Um, I think they're going to be much improved last year. Their offense should be really good. Levitt there defensively. I think you'll see kind of a similar – result is what he brought here. They're not going to be a great defensive team this year. I think they're going to be solid enough, and their offense is going to score a ton of points, so that'll get the job done there for them. And then um, the only two I have left are Washington and USC. Oh, no, and Stanford, sorry. So Stanford's third. Um, I think they have a chance to be a top 15 program this year. Bryce Love looked really impressive in week one. If you were able to watch that game, Rice obviously sucks, but I was curious to see how that Christian McCaffrey loss would affect them, and Bryce looks ready to take over there, no problem. Then I have Washington, number two, and then I have USC, number one. I think both of them are legitimate playoff candidates, ton of talent. Um, You're going to see them probably make up half the first team, all Pac-12, just those two programs alone. Uh, Washington, again, with a fairly easy schedule, could definitely go undefeated this year. USC has a chance to as well, so I expect them to meet up in the Pac-12 title game probably. From your number three team, Stanford, down to number, was it nine with Utah? Uh, or are they eight? They would be eight. eight. Oregon State, ASU, Arizona, Cal below. Yeah. So, so between that three and eight team, when those three through eight teams match up against each other, should be, should be some fantastic football. Yeah, a lot of close games. I think that's pretty much how you could describe the Pac-12 is they have two really, really good teams and maybe even a third one with Stanford. Um, they're going to be different compared to the, those other two, but I think Stanford is pretty good as well. And then, yeah, those four through eights are really bunched up. I think all very talented, um, would compete in a lot of the other conferences for division titles. I think the Pac-12 is really, really solid in that middle group yeah. this year. Again, going back to injuries, I think whichever teams in that grouping right there stay the healthiest, those mm-hmm. are going to be the ones that rise to the top. Yeah. Well, the men's basketball team recently finished up their trip over to Italy. They played four games, won three of the four. The last game, I don't know how much of that was maybe just, hey, it was the end of a, a long vacation, and maybe they kind of packed it in a little bit early. Yeah. What, were you, what were your main takeaways from just the trip in general? Well, I mean, I think it's just that's what you're going to get from this team this year. They're talented but extremely young. There's going to be some mental lapse games where you're just like, wow, this is really frustrating to watch. They're also going to be a ton of fun at times. But, you know, they're growing, and they're playing against guys who are bigger, stronger, and wiser than them most of the year coming up. So I think, for me, I don't have a lot of expectations for them this season. So it's I'm excited for the year because I think it's going to be, you know, we'll see how they grow more than anything else. It's not going to be, oh, they need to make the NCAA tournament or bust like it's been the past few years. So that's kind of fun for me, and I think the future of this program is really bright. I really love the talent especially the young guys on the roster. Uh, so McKinley Wright looks like he's going to be an absolute stud for them, which is awesome. Tyler Bay I'm really high on as well. 
We haven't seen a ton of Batty yet because he's been injured, so we'll see how that plays out. And then Deshaun Schwartz, his whole life has basically been always not as good as people say he is, and then he gets comfortable, and all of a sudden he's making plays. I don't think he's ever going to be a guy that leads your team in scoring. I just think he always knows how to find his role amongst better talent and gets it done. So for me, I expect him to have a pretty good career here as well. It might just take him a little bit longer to get there. Yeah, he, may, he to me he might be a redshirt candidate. Yeah, I mean that'd be fine too. I don't see any issue with that if that's what they choose to do. Um, I think by the time he's an upperclassman, he will have figured out and have a carved out role for this team for sure. So Jay Leon, that, Jay, yeah, yeah Jay Leon Brown had uh, quietly pretty efficient performances over there in Italy. Yeah, I would have loved to have seen him be a little more assertive last year as a freshman. I thought he didn't do as much as he was capable of. He was, you know, I, I understand what he's trying to do, trying to play within the offense and. It's hard to take the ball out of Derek White's hands at times, but I think this year he has to step up a little bit because I really like his playmaking ability, and I think he has a chance to be a good defender too if he can yeah. get a little bit bigger. But the, yeah, there was the debate: is McKinley right, this team starting point guard right now, or is that something that's going to happen later in the season or not until next year? I think after Italy, it's pretty clear that he's the yeah. guy right now. He did turn the ball over quite a bit, which is to be expected, but he made three times as many shots as Collier did over there and shot a better much better percentage from the field too. So I yeah. think it's it's pretty clear that he's their best option there at point guard. Free throws were really their free throw shooting was atrocious over there. <laughs> free throw shooting is always atrocious, I feel like. Outside of you know, like Josh was good, so the numbers looked better there. And same thing, Derek White was really good at the line, so the numbers look better as a team. But for the most part, a lot of the guys on this team struggle to shoot free throws, which is really frustrating. Yeah. We had a question to rank our top eight guys. I think we're kind of Cutting in close here on time. i got to get out of here. So maybe we'll touch on that after another show. But that was from HighBuff79. So uh, thanks for the question. We'll get to that later. Men's basketball recruiting, again, is heating up. Elijah Parquet set to visit Colorado on September 7th. He's also lined up trips with Louisiana Lafayette and Virginia Tech. Four-star shooting guard prospect Bryce Hamilton has the buffs in his top six. Napa big man Amadou So. Is that how you would pronounce that, Tyler? Yeah. Looks right to me. Likely going to visit the Buffs as well. Uh, Damon Kuntz set from Denver East set to announce on September 16th. Uh, what's your – Kuntz is kind of a polarizing guy. There's some people that think Yeah, he, I haven't watched him in a couple of years, so it's hard for me to really say. I thought he was going to be a big-time prospect when I saw him a couple of years ago. It seems like he's petered out a little bit in that regard. But, I mean, he's got a couple of solid offers. People are looking at him. Uh, but, you know, filled scholarships up elsewhere. I don't think he's a guy who's a game changer for your program, but I don't think getting guys out of Colorado once in a while is bad. So I'd like to go watch him before I really say one way or the other. But a few people I trust at the very least like him as a prospect, and so that's, I guess, where I would lean now. I was talking with Pat Rooney from the camera recently about their recruiting efforts, and they're not in the mix for quite as many blue chippers as they were a year ago. Obviously, they signed three four-star guys. And Pat had an interesting take. He, you know, he said it's really tough in basketball, especially to have back-to-back really solid recruiting classes because a lot of these kids want to go play right away. Do you buy into that? Absolutely. I mean, unless you're Duke, you're not getting studs. I mean, I think that's pretty simple. There's 20 programs that get a majority of the really, really talented guys in every single class. Outside of that, you're trying to find those next guys who are available and fall through the cracks a little bit. And so you did a great job with that last year. But it's tough to do that multiple years in a row because people are watching the depth chart in front of you. And we didn't play that well last year. And so that matters to guys too, you know. I mean, it's, you know, if they see improvement and you see an upward trajectory, guys will come back in. But, yeah, I mean, it's basketball, there's only two or three scholarships a year. It's tough to really hit 
every single time out, especially if you're at Colorado, who is not known for basketball. You're a middle-of-the-road Pac-12 team, typically. I mean, it's just tough to compete with. I mean, you're not out-recruiting Arizona or USC or UCLA or even Oregon or Washington most years. That's just not going to happen. All right. Well, I think that wraps up this show. Tyler, you have another podcast going on. Tell everybody about it. It's got kind of a betting spin, spin to it. Yeah, actually, I have two. So Freeballing is coming back today as well. So that'll okay. be fun. So I have three more podcasts today. So that'll be interesting. Four in one day. Uh, yeah, so Freeloading, though, is a new venture that me and Tyler Murray are starting where we're going to try to give you guys some betting advice. We had a really strong start. Week one went 0-3. It was, <laughs> it was awesome. Yeah, so that, so that wasn't a ton of fun. But um, we'll get it going. Week zero is always tough. Uh, I feel like we usually get it dialed in by week three or week four. It's tough without evidence going into the year, but we're going to keep getting after it. It's pretty. Uh, it's a, it's fun for us because we both like we we do a lot of betting on our own time. So try to bring some information to you guys. And for those of you that don't bet and don't understand the lingo, we're trying to talk about that a little bit as well. What this means, what this means, what can you do here? Why does this make sense? Um, so it's going to be a ton of fun. So today's. Um, we're going to do week one betting lines for college football, and then we're going to do some NFL um, win totals as well. Uh, so we have two separate podcasts coming today for that, and then Freeball is going to do their CSU preview today as well. All right. You're a busy man. Yeah. Well, we're gonna you're going to see Tyler and I on a video preview on Friday talking about the CU-CSU game, getting you ready for that. So be sure to check that out. And the next time, aside from that, that, that you hear our voices, we'll actually get to break down a CU football game. Pretty excited for that. Thanks for tuning in.